Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys and Ties podcast. This is Dustin, and I'm here with Rob. And it's been about two months, two and a half months since we've had a podcast, an official podcast. So uh, thanks for thanks for listening, and hopefully, you know, we don't forget how to talk on the podcast. Rob, do you think podcasting is a is a learned ability like like is it like riding a bike or is it something that you need to keep practicing like golf i guess we'll find out man i feel like <laughs> you're you'll be good because you're still teaching i just kind of hide in my spreadsheets all day so <laughs> one might be more rusty than the other teaching and podcast i well you know it is it is a little bit similar you do talk and some people listen sometimes and then other people just ignore you but that's okay too um anyway so We've been gone for a while. We apologize for this. There's been a lot of UVA sports stuff happening. Of course, basketball loses in the NIT. We didn't talk about that. Uh, spring game, we're going to talk about today a little bit. Rob wants to do a breakdown. Rob's very excited about the breakdown of the spring game. Uh, I think there's been a lot of kind of upheaval in the sports world, especially with NIL stuff. We might touch on that at the end. But Rob, first off, how are you? How have you been? What's up in your life? Yeah, man. So I, I think I've told everyone on a prior episode I am in Charlottesville. And it turns out I am in Charlottesville short term uh, and at risk of, uh, I, I guess, angering people. I don't know. Uh, I'm about to be a Tar Heel. So I'm about to be in a grad program at UNC. I can say that now. Um so yeah, I'll be in Charlottesville for a few more months, and uh, we'll be heading off to grad school here uh, come August. So pretty excited for that. I I, I guess we'll see how Tar Heel Blue looks, Carolina Blue. But <laughs> we'll we'll take that as it comes. Rob, how big was your NIL package to to be a trader in the a South's oldest rivalry? Matt Brown Jordan. came up, and yeah, truckload of Jordans. Okay, good. As long as as long as it's worth it. Um, so yeah, well, that's great. It's very exciting. Um, for me, you know, I've had a crazy couple of months. My wife, CJ matched at Georgetown for her residency. So we're going to be staying in the DC area, which we're really excited about. We are homeowners more recently. So I've been, um, moving in and doing stuff. So I've barely had time to, to sit down, much less think about sports for a while. And the school year is almost over, so I'm looking forward to the summer and hopefully uh, some rest because it's been a it's been a long school year, I think, for a lot of people. But um, <clears throat> but yeah. Anyway, I hope that I hope that everyone can forgive us for for uh, ditching y'all. We were on uh, what did I say hiatus. Hibernation. Hibernation. I like that. Yeah, hi- we were hibernating for a little bit. I think we stopped 
right after Florida State beat us in JPJ. I think that was just kind of the killer. <laughs> we just needed a break. It was a tough basketball season. It was a tough basketball season. We're going to talk a little bit about basketball uh, later in the podcast. But first, we do want to talk about our sponsors from Athletic Greens. Tons of people take a multivitamin, and it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you are absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and at Adap- adap- adaptogens? Do you know? Do you know what that is, Rob? <laughs> no. And they those things help to start your day right. This special blend of ingredients helps to support gut health, the nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle friendly, adapting to a wide wide range of diets. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals or artificial anything. Plus, it costs less than three dollars per day. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with the convenient daily nutrition, especially during cold and flu season. Just one scoop of in a cup of water every day, that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs for you with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sports drink to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We are also sponsored by ColorCast. ColorCast is a live audio-only sports talk platform. It is free to download and free to use. You can talk to other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app for free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join whatever group you want. Go ahead and join ColorCast today. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. They wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. I like those new ads. It feels good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what an adaptogen is. <laughs> I've heard of everything else. I know those other things. I don't know adaptogen. That's homework for next episode. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'm gonna Google. I'm gonna Google it. Anyway, Rob, uh, let's start off with spring football, and it happened uh, last weekend, right? So eight days ago. Today's Sunday, and uh, Rob. Did you go to the Did you go to the game? I wasn't able to go. I was at a um, I was visiting a friend in San Diego. But were you able to go to the spring game? I was. I was there. What was seeing the Wahoo light? The Wahoo walk? Like, was it cool? Like, do you remember the Wahoo walk at all from when you were younger? Yeah. So unfortunately, I didn't see the Wahoo walk. We got there probably about ten minutes before they started. Okay. Um. But yeah, no, I think there was positive reaction. And from what I saw on Twitter, there were a lot of people that enjoyed themselves. Uh, the players looked to enjoy it, certainly the, the players' families. And there was a sizable group of fans there, you know, at least by Virginia spring game standards. Uh, 
I was happy to see that. I, I'm excited for it. I'm excited that Hagen's is the one putting it together too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that Hagen. I think it's great that Hagen's has taken over like a bigger role, like kind of eat from each person. You know, Mike London, and then to Bronco, and then to to Tony Elliott. He has been one of the steadying forces in the program, and I think that. He's well. He's beloved by everyone, and I think that it's great that he's getting this higher kind of status within the program now. Certainly, and I mean, he had an interview recently in a Virginia sports article where uh, I think it was Whitey Reed put it together and basically said, "Do you have aspirations of being a head coach someday?" And his answer was basically, "You know, I'm I'm happy where I am," and I think it's pretty told that pretty well, uh, pretty well told that. You know, he still has aspirations. He just loves UVA and he loves Charlottesville. And I think we're just super lucky to have him around. And, you know, maybe someday he'll get the head coaching itch. And, you mm-hmm. know, for all we know, maybe it'll be here. I hope it would be here if it's somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but Hagen's is awesome, man. We're so lucky to have him around. He's great. And, you know, the players love him. People around Charlottesville love him. He's got a great family. Uh, he, I, I can't say enough about him, but it's great that he's – you know, as associate head coach now, right? Yep. And, you know, I think it's great that Elliot saw his kind of use and, and what he can bring to the program, not only recruiting-wise, but just culture-wise and getting the people of Charlottesville on board with Tony Elliott. You know, I think the Bronco departure is was super sudden for a lot of people. And so I'm not sure everyone was kind of ready for – a new not everyone was prepared for a new head coach you know with like london after he got fi- people were ready for london <clears throat> for london to not be in charge of the program anymore and so people were kind of ready for bronco and the next person but but with tony elliott it's i feel like he's had almost more work to do to convince people that he's the guy if that makes sense sure and i mean he's bringing his own brand here too, while still keeping the things that were, you know, talked about under Bronco and also talked about at the university level too. You know, he comes in and I think he's bringing more energy and more publicity to the program, which is great. I will say I watched uh, two ACC network specials where one was where he was live from practice and giving an interview. Another was a feature on practice and it was great. I mean, it was great exposure to the program. Um, and he's doing that while still keeping a lot of the same core principles that drives, uh, you know, the university athletic stance, as well as the way uh, things were conducted under Bronco. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you know, this is this is student athlete and, you know, he's calling it the model program in the sense that he wants high character individuals. He wants, uh, you know, high achieving students to be a part of this program. And that's part of the university culture. And. You know, I think we kind of take it for granted at times because there's plenty of other schools that also have terrific academics, but that culture doesn't permeate necessarily through its athletic teams. And and UVA, it does. And it's done that intentionally. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's maintained all of that while I think bringing good energy to the program. And uh, certainly the Clemson credentials are great. And listen, every coach gets a honeymoon period. I'm I think Tony Elliott has made the most of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, proof is always going to be in the pudding, but I think you have to be excited with what you've seen so far. I mean, I agree. I think that he's done an excellent job of getting people on board and 
one of the game I forget what game it was. It was a game. It was a basketball game, and Tony Elliott came out at halftime. I think it was the Clemson game that we lost at home, and he got a standing ovation, and it was one of the highlights of the game. It was the only highlight of the game. The game was awful, um, but he, I think, knows how to talk to the crowd, and I think that he is. I'm really excited to see what he can do with this program over the next, not just this year, but the next couple of years as he gets his own you know, people in it and the offense and the defense are kind of set more in stone. And speaking of offense and defense, let's talk about what you saw at the spring game. And you've actually rewatched the spring game and you've done your homework and your research. So Rob, uh, what do you want to talk about first, offense or defense? Uh, it probably makes sense to start with the offense. All right. um, just because I think the defense we're actually probably able to take away a little bit more from. Mm-hmm. Um than the offense. The offense, I think, will get there, but it's a work in progress. And I think that's the best way to say it. Um, but so, I mean, we get Brennan comes back, a lot of wide receiver talent comes back, but it's changing and people are going to have to relearn some stuff in the new offense. What was one thing you noticed about the offense that um, was just really clear to you during the spring game? Yeah, I'd say two things. One, and probably the most prominent, would be a commitment to running the football. Um, you know, unfortunately, we've been down running backs this spring. Uh, Ronnie Walker, it looked like an ankle injury or a lower leg injury. He's going to be out until at least fall camp. Um, so we were really only dealing with Mike Collins and now redshirt freshman Ahmad Faustin at running back, um, as far as scholarship backs, at least. And they handled the bulk of the load during the spring game. And the Tony Elliott talks about running the football as a mindset, as a physicality um, element to the game. I don't disagree, um, but it was difficult. It was tough sledding because I think they only had eight healthy offensive linemen for the game, and about half of those guys were walk-ons. Uh, so it was an uphill battle for sure to try to run the football. Uh, but there was a commitment to it, and you certainly saw that. The other thing I would say is just the passing concepts are totally different. Um, there's a lot more play action. Uh, you're not stretching the field vertically as much as you are running crossing routes and, uh, moving horizontally and creating opportunities for players to run after the catch. Um, where last year was kind of, uh, just kind of throwing deep. So it's a different style of offense very much in the Clemson mold and kind of the base is the Chad Morris system. Uh, but it's a different looking offense for sure. Much more physical, much more play action based. It's something that, you know, I think we'll see a transition. Brennan certainly won't have the same numbers he had last year, but it's a more NFL-like system. It's not totally an NFL system, but it's more NFL-like. So I think it'll be something that I think ultimately will help Brennan um, as he looks ahead to the draft next year. Well, I think one thing about Brennan was that I think his accuracy was one of the things, especially in the short game, in the medium game, that was – I think NFL scouts wanted him to work on coming into this season. And so hopefully he'll be able to work on that and get that going. And of course he still has the deep ball in his pocket. I mean, he was, he's so good at finding people downfield and of course he can get it to them, but it's about the short and medium game. So I hope that Tony Elliott can get him into the, you know, mold of, uh, 
of quarterbacking and, and being ready for the NFL next year when he pro- almost definitely will go to the NFL and be drafted at some point. Yeah, I mean, technically he would still have a COVID year if he wants it, but the way everyone's talking, I think everyone's set that this will be his last year at UVA. I am sure. Um, yeah. And the way, yeah, and the way Tony Elliott described it too is he said, in the old offense, Brennan Armstrong had the ability to play off of his instincts a lot more. And in this offense, they still want to give him the opportunity to play off of those instincts, but they're just introducing more structure. He's going to have the ability to make more calls at the line of scrimmage, and there's going to be different levels of routes than what they necessarily had. And the more spread air raid type offense they ran, mm-hmm. admittedly ran very successfully last year. Um, so it's, it's going to be different and it's going to look different. And I think there's going to be some growing pains for sure. But the hope is that in the long term, this creates a more balanced, more physical offense that uh, where you don't necessarily have to have the superstar quarterback, both as a runner and a thrower, the quarterback, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think the idea is to move away from that and really emphasize running the ball with the running back and creating play action and deep shots off of that. Yeah. No, I, and I think that's great. I think I'm excited to see what Tony Elliott does with a weapon like Brennan Armstrong because he, you know, as some people know, had a national champion. He's got a ring from Clemson, worked with Trevor Lawrence, and he's got the credentials to get Brennan to where he needs to go. And I'm excited to see how far Brennan can take that in this upcoming season. Now, um, Offense aside, the defense is changing quite a lot, as I understand it, for the second year in a row, which is, you know, disheartening to hear. But what do you, what can you take away from the defense, and how can you explain the new defense to someone like me who doesn't know what is what it's going to look like? Sure. Well, I will say, going through spring practices, we weren't really able to see any real clips or tape or anything of what was happening in practice. So you heard the coaches kind of describing what the new scheme was like, and you could watch air force film and kind of figure out and get bits and pieces. But the spring game for me, the biggest takeaway was really getting a feel for the defense. Um, And I think the best way to describe it is as far as personnel goes, it's a three, three, five, as far as in practice, what they're doing it's extremely multiple. And I'm, I think I'm finally able to understand what Rudzinski has said and what Elliot has said when they say they want to be multiple. So in basic terms, you have three down linemen. So that's what we had in the 3-4 mm-hmm. and the 3-3-5 last year. Um, but you have three down linemen, and then you have an outside linebacker, a weak, weak side outside linebacker that they call the bandit. And the bandit is going to line up along the line of scrimmage. Then you're going to have two linebackers. Uh, Nick Jackson will be one. The other one in the spring game was uh, Josh Ahern with the ones that are essentially inside linebackers. Mm -hmm. So the front is a 3-3-5 technically, but the way they line up, it's more like a 4-2-5 defense. And that kind of makes sense. You know, you have Kevin Downing uh, coaching the D tackles that are the interior two linemen. And then you have Chris Slade coaching the DN, who is Ben Smiley, who's had a, looked great in the spring game, mm-hmm. and then the Bandit. So he's coaching the outside guys on the line of scrimmage. So, and it looks like a 3 3 5 
in practice, it's more like a four, two, five. And I think the other interesting element there is that, you know, it was a three, three, five last year, but it was a three, three, five from the Rocky long scheme, which Bronco was a school of that had three middle safeties. And then the safety that was the Aztec at San Diego state mm-hmm. and Virginia was called the Saber, essentially Joey Blunt, who played in the middle closer to the line of scrimmage. This defense also plays with three safeties, uh, but that third safety is different. And the best way I can describe it is if there's any Washington Commanders fans out there, this is basically, I'm one of them. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There's a few of you. Yeah. uh, This role, this third safety in this defense is very similar to what Landon Collins has played the past few years in Washington. It's essentially a hybrid safety linebacker that plays in the slot. So the safety has to be physical against the run. And at times, if there's no receiver on his side of the field, he'll come up and the defense will all of a sudden look like a 3-4. You have three down linemen, the three linebackers, and now all of a sudden the safety will look like a linebacker. But essentially this uh, third safety is a slot defender. Um, And you actually saw how effective it could be in the – interception in the spring game antonio clary it looks like the favorite to play this role uh antonio clary dropped from the slot got his hands on a ball that was intercepted uh by jalen baker Mm -hmm. the cornerback so essentially you have this slot safety you have two outside corners and you have two deep safeties a traditional free and strong safety um so i don't know hopefully that helped a little bit Uh, i'm not sure if i explained it great but it i would say the takeaway is it's a three-three-five in terms of personnel, but I think the best way to look at it is a four-two-five. And depending on how the offense lines up, the defense is multiple enough to adjust and can put different looks um, on the field based on the offense's personnel, just from their base set. Mm-hmm. So I, I finally understand why they keep saying it's so versatile and multiple, just because you're dealing with the same personnel, but they can have the ability to line them up in different ways based on what the offense is doing. So, yeah, I, that, that's a great explanation for it. My only concern with that is, is it too different from what we've done in the past, or is it going to be too confusing for our guys to learn before, you know, we really get into our slate of games next year? I think it will be able to be learned relatively simple. Um, and I think it'll be much easier to learn than the three three five last year okay. because the three three five we ran last year was a stack where essentially the linebackers line up directly behind um, the defensive linemen, and depending on what the defensive linemen do, the linebackers make their reads and fill their gaps based off of where the defensive linemen go. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the defense last year it's supposed to be very fast and supposed to be very attacking, uh, lots of speed on the field. Virginia just struggled with that transition, and I don't think they had the personnel to run the three-three-five they did last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they tried admirably. I mean, Joey Blunt just wasn't built to play that middle safety role. He had the heart and the desire to and the yeah. skill to. He just physically didn't have that weight to carry. And I'll tell you what I've told people. Quinn Blanding would have been fantastic in that role. Mm-hmm. But Joey Blunt's, you know, smaller than Quinn Blanding was. Uh, so anyway, there were so many different – uh, there were way different possibilities on each play in the sense that, you know, there was a lot of read and react. And, and this defense is going to be more traditional. It's going to, it's not going to be quite like the three, four we ran in the first uh, five years of Bronco Mendenhall's tenure, but mm-hmm. 
uh, is going to be more similar to that in a base defense. And my anticipation is it'll be simpler gap schemes. Uh, so I think it'll be easier for the guys to learn. There's, I, my guess is that there's less nuance to it mm-hmm. um, than what we ran with the three three five last year. So hopefully it'll allow the guys to play quicker um, and, you know, hopefully limit the big plays as well. Yeah. Yeah. The big plays last year killed us. Um, and, and so I'm hoping, you know, first game against Richmond Saturday, September 3rd, hopefully we are able to get this defense and offense ready for that game. Rob, we've got a couple more months until they start fall camp. What, what do you want to see more from this team? Do we need any transfers to come in any groups to get healthy? Uh, what, what is your kind of number one need from this football team? Yeah, I think offensive line is the biggest concern. Uh, they're yeah, dealing with limited sure. numbers. Now I will say, uh, they're bringing in, uh, multiple people before summer camp. They're bringing in two transfers, um, and they're bringing in five freshmen. I think the two transfers should be expected to play um, and probably start. That's the expectation, at least. The freshmen will be harder to determine, but I guess we'll find out. But I think offensive line, I certainly think they could add another player there. Um, and I think running back as well. I think they certainly need another running back, especially if Ronnie Walker um, you know, that injury maybe lingers in the fall camp. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious to see, you know, tight end. I think they could benefit from a pass catching tight end. I will say the tight ends look good running seam routes during the spring game. Uh, Grant Nish and Sackett Wood especially. But I think they could benefit from more speed there. And I think they might look for a kicker or punter as well. Um, you know, Brendan Farrell handled those duties last year, the kicking duties, and he could again, and maybe Will Betridge could come in as a freshman and handle those duties as well. Uh, but what we found out is that the kicker, Justin Dunkel, is injured. Um, so he was going to compete for that job. So it wouldn't shock me if they added a punter or a kicker here as well. So I think there's needs that could be filled. Um, it sounds like we're going to have a couple scholarship spots available. You know, my count that I keep, I have us at 82 scholarships for next year, meaning there's three left to fill. Uh, I know Tony Elliott had said he, there was like 77 scholarships, I think. So his number is certainly different and more accurate than mine. So <laughs> we'll bridge those gaps eventually. Do you know more um, than Tony Elliott about who? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not going to go out that far. Uh, so anyway, that gap will get bridged eventually. Anyway, so I think we are going to look for transfers, and that would be my expectation. Okay. Um, the curious part will be is today, actually, as we record Sunday, is the last day for players to enter the portal and still maintain their eligibility for next year mm-hmm. under the one-time transfer rule. So we're recording this Sunday night. As of now, no UVA player uh, has entered the portal. There's still three hours to do so, but I will say I think that's a great sign for the program that everyone who made it through spring practice so far um, still appears to be all in for the summer. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's going to be a great. Um, I think it's just a good look for the for the program and a good look for the new coaching staff and the new systems. I think that there's a lot of buy-in from the players, and I'm really excited to see what they can do in the fall. Yeah, 
most certainly. Uh, I think there were a lot of encouraging signs. Yeah. Uh, so, like you said, excited for the fall, man. Excited you for know, the fall. You know, fall Saturdays are great. Fall Saturdays are great. Fall Saturdays in Charlottesville are great. But what's even more great are our sponsors, who I'm going to say the ads correctly this time because <laughs> I know what they say. So, tons of people take a multivitamin, and it's important to choose one of this top quality. With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients helps to support gut health, the nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle-friendly, adapting to a wide range of diets. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals or artificial anything. Plus, it costs less than $3 per day. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially during cold and flu season. It's just one scoop of cup in a water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sports drink to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We are also sponsored by ColorCast. ColorCast is a live audio-only sports talk platform. It is free to download and free to use. Talk to other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It is perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app for free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join whatever group you want. Go ahead and download ColorCast today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. So, Rob. We're talking football. Any last thoughts on football before we move on to basketball, the disappointing season of basketball? Yeah, you know, we really haven't talked about basketball since the season ended. So uh, there's certainly been kind of a somewhat disappointing basketball season, at least the way it ended in the NIT. Uh, And a movement as far as uh, transfers and guys sticking around. So. Mm -hmm. I'm more than ready to dive in there. Let's dive in. So UVA basketball was 16-9 and nine going into uh, beginning of or the middle of February around Valentine's Day. We end up losing three of our last five games to end the season at 18-12, and 12, missing the NCAA tournament. And as everyone knows, uh, we get blown out by UNC in the uh, – second no technically the quarterfinals of the ACC tournament and we make it to the NIT as a uh four seed right four seed and what were we I think we were a four seed Uh, we might have been a five seed I don't remember four or five it was disrespectful and maybe maybe deserved but we make it uh beat Mississippi State North Texas in a thrilling overtime game and then um, we lose to the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure at home, 52-51. to uh, Kind of a disappointing end of the season. 
And while there were some encouraging things towards the end, you know, Armand found his shooting stroke towards the end of the the last couple games, which was nice to see. Um, Defense played okay, but, you know, we just couldn't make it. And so there's a couple things at the end of the season that a lot of fans had questions about. I think, frankly, Tony had questions about it too. And in his last press conference, after the uh, the loss against St. Bonaventure, he said, uh, he was very frank with, with the media about, what he expected from players who were going to come back. Uh, he basically said, if you're going to come back, you're going to need to be better than you were this past year. Uh, and there is a couple people that we thought he was taking that shot at. One was um, the three M's, you know, Tane Murray, Igor Milicic, and Carson McCorkle. Um, just some, you know, freshmen and underclassmen who hadn't really maybe performed up to expectations either in practice or in games. And uh, I think that was also kind of directed at some of the seniors who could become super seniors in this next year uh, and who did become super seniors, including Jane Gardner and Kihei Clark, as well as Cody Statman, although Cody Statman is not uh, going to be returning to UVA. I don't think I, I haven't, I don't think he's allowed to, I don't know if you, Wait, is there a deadline he, for super seniors? I don't know, but um, yeah, he he had the option to return, and I do not believe he's planning to return. I, I think that decision has been made. I think so too. Um, in any case, uh, we've had a couple of movements, and most of y'all know this already because if you follow along <laughs> in any <laughs> capacity, you probably know this. But Igor Milicic and Carson McCorkle have transferred out of the program. Igor Milicic went to Charlotte and Carson McCorkle, um, I need to confirm. I think he went to Wofford. We actually have some guys returning and we have uh, some, a transfer coming in. So Jaden Gardner, a super senior. I don't think his was ever in doubt. Um, it was kind of always assumed Jaden Gardner would come back for a super senior season. And Kihei Clark was always, of course, it was a mixed bag. Some people thought he would. Some people thought he wouldn't. Some people didn't want him to. Some people did want him to. And eventually, uh, he decides that he is coming back to the program, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. The transfer coming in is Ben Vanderplas, and some of you probably remember him. He was from Ohio and a couple years ago beat us in the first round of the NCAA tournament, just torched us uh, 17 points. And uh, he's a 6'8 forward. Uh, he can kind of shoot it. He shoots at about 33.5% uh, last year, which frankly would be fine on our team. That would be about a third on the team for people who played significant minutes. Uh, fourth, if you include Cody Statman in that um, conversation. So, you know, we're getting we're getting a, another forward to kind of replace Milicic, who's going out. And of course, Kihei Clark is coming back. So I want to talk about both of those guys. Rob, when you let's talk about Vanderplas first. What was your reaction to Vanderplas coming back and how how do you feel about that? Or not coming back, sorry, Vanderplas transferring into the program. Sure. So on Vanderplas that is? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's an exciting transfer and it adds an element that we did not have last year. That being a stretch big man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we had a very solid rotation in the front court. Um, but with respect to those guys, and I think all these guys know this, none of them are perimeter players and none mm-hmm. of them are really st- stretch players in that sense either. 
Francisco Cafaro is about as old school of a center as you can get. Caden Shedrick has some athleticism to his game and as a player, but I think defining him as a stretch big isn't quite accurate. He just doesn't have the outside shot. Mm-hmm. And Jaden Gardner really developed that mid-range shot as the season went on. But at his size, I mean, I think he's listed at six foot seven, probably more accurate at closer to six foot six. Um, you know, he's an undersized four to begin with. And then when we go small ball, he's even more undersized when he's asked to play the five. So we had big men that were really good in the paint, but no one who could really stretch outside. Um, you know, offensively, Gardner could hit the mid range, but I think even more so, I think we mean defensively where, you know, when we asked guys to go small, they were kind of confined to the paint, or at least that's where their strength was. So I think we were missing that stretch big. And, you know, to call Hauser or DeAndre Hunter as a big, it's probably not accurate. But at the same time, they were guys that could play the four and guys that could shoot and stretch the floor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Vanderplas brings. You know, he's a downhill player. He's more physical than Sam Hauser was. Not quite the same shooter Hauser was, um, but a good enough shooter that you have to respect. Um, so, you know, the ideal scenario is that we just landed ourselves a Brady Manic. You know, <laughs> well, I guess time will tell there. But, you know, I would say similar styles of play for sure. Downhill players, the ability to shoot. Um, and I think he adds an element that this team needed. And, you know, depending on how Isaac Trout comes in and develops, maybe he can also play that role. But, you know, Vanderplas is going to be a sixth-year guy. This will be his super senior year, and he redshirted his freshman year at Ohio as well. So he's a uh, one-year player here at UVA, and I think he comes in, he'll add experience on a team that's frankly going to be very experienced already next year mm-hmm. um, and provide a different element that, you know, we might have had with Trout, um, but certainly now we'll have this year with Vanderplas. Yeah. Now, I mean, so... You're talking about experience coming back, and with Kihei coming back, we've got five, or all five starters returning for another season at UVA, and kind of a, you know, I would say I, I would say a disappointing season, um, all things considered, with with what we thought we were getting from certain people who were coming in, and let's talk about Kihei coming back now because there was a mixed bag, there was a mixed reaction to this, and I've got some feelings. And I know I know you have um, some uh, some feelings as well. So I I just think that you know Kie coming back can be a really positive thing for this team. I think that there's certain ways in which the team can use Kie a lot next season, whether it's uh, as a ball handler or as a shooting guard. And I think that uh, people. I think that there are definitely concerns about, you know, his usage and his playing with Reese Beekman. Uh, they are they are a similar player. They do similar things. I think playing both of them at the same time gives a lot of people concern because of uh, not only Beekman's development, but the 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 how how the flo- how the team is constructed on the floor and what what that limits the the team can do. So, especially last year without any outside really any really great outside shooters, um, you know, Armand Franklin wasn't consistent enough for that. We didn't have a a big shooter like like Hauser or 
or Huff, like they did the year before. And so this year it was kind of a struggle to see them both on the floor at the same time. Um, Rob, what your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Kihei returning and and what he can bring to this team? Well, he certainly can bring a lot to this team. You know, he's an All ACC point guard. Um, you know, obviously has the track record beginning his freshman year up to this past year of a solid on on ball defender. He does better against the smaller, quicker players, uh, since that frankly is what he is, than mm-hmm. necessarily against the bigger guards that he'll go against. Um, which is fine because Reese Beekman can guard those players just fine as well. Um, so he certainly adds an element. I think what's become apparent is that, you know, Kihei is best as a true point guard. And I think he's shown the ability to play the two, but he's best as a true point guard. And I think Reese Beekman is a true point guard. You know, he's no one's mistaking Reese Beekman as a shooting guard. So I think the challenge next year is going to be to find a way to get to get, you know, play them together to an extent, but to be able to get shooters on the floor. And I think that was our biggest weakness last year. And I think bringing in Vanderplas, he presumably will start at the four. Um, now, what does that mean for Jaden Garter? I mean, it's kind of interesting. It's going to be an interesting front court rotation next year. Um, but I think Vanderplas is, uh, he's a four in our system. I, I'd be mm-hmm. shocked if he played the three. Um, so, you know, you have the front court there, but the question is really going to be, you know, how do you how do you improve the backcourt? I think the biggest thing with the backcourt is you have to improve scoring and even more specifically shooting. Yeah. And, you know, I think Armand, maybe he'll fare better playing the two next year. That's probably his more natural position than the three. Although I will say in the sides offense, it's all kind of the same once you start going. Yeah. That being the one through three kind of all do the same thing. Um so I'm curious how this is going to look. You know, McNeely is a great shooter. McNeely could come in and fight for minutes right away. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen with freshmen that that probably, if it happens, it'll be a slow, uh, it'll happen slowly over the course of the season. Uh, you know, we don't know if we're going to see a jump from Tane Murray. I'd expect at least one of Leon Bond and Ryan Dunn to redshirt. That'd be my expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the challenge next year is finding a way to get the pers- different personnel, and it could be different, it could be the same for all I know, but get personnel on the floor to better space the floor, to better be able to shoot and better be able to attack. And I think Kihei and Reese, as has been documented, bring a lot of the same strengths to the team. So I don't know if they can necessarily just roll out Reese at the one and Kihei at the two next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, my hope would be is that they find a way to get creative and find a lineup where Listen, they might not play as much as they did this past year. This past year, uh, here, I just have the minutes pulled up. So, uh, P.A. Clark led the team in, with 36 minutes per game last year, and Reese Beekman was second with 35 minutes per game last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe next year it changes where Reese is playing 30 minutes a game and Kihei is playing 20 minutes a game or vice versa. I, I think the team would benefit if they if they have the ability to – you know, use their strengths separately. Um, Cause I think we've seen there are limitations when they are on the court together. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I think that at some point there's going to need to be a limitation on when, how much they're playing together, whether that's um, one of them coming off the bench, whether that's, um, you know, them starting and then one gets subbed out really quickly for maybe a bigger player, maybe a, a, a three or, or a four, uh, another four 
or another big man. I don't know. But, you know, I think at some point we have to realize that there is limit. There are limitations when they play together. With that being said, uh, both of them were some of our best shooters last season. You know, if you ignore Tane Murray, um, who didn't really play too much uh, or didn't shoot too much, um, you know, Reese and Kihei really played and shot better than most people did uh, during the games. And so it's tough, though, when they are managing the the game and neither of them is really a true two guard. You know, both of them, I think, play best when they're on the ball and distributing. I think I think Kihei's best when he's distributing. I think Reese is best when he's distributing. So I think it's tough to have them both on the floor at the same time. What Kihei does bring back that Reese does not is a leadership, you know, experience in different situations. You know, in the win in Cameron Indoor this past season, Kihei was the only one who ever played in Cameron Indoor Stadium on that team. I think having his presence there was really helpful for the team. He's got a win. He's a, I think he is a winner. And I know some people disagree with me on that. I think he is a winner. And you can, I can point to a number of times that he's won a game. Think about the buzzer beater at tech. Think about the pass against Purdue. Think about the pass to, um, to, to uh, Walter Tensai against UNC. There's a lot of different times when Kihei has taken the ball into his hands and either found or scored on a last second shot for this team i think that i think that he is you know i I still think he's underlooked as a player meaning like you know people i think he's disrespected as a player i think he's a really good player i think he's one of the toughest players i've ever seen um and he's of course a great on-ball defender for certain situations i think he brings a lot to the table and i'm hopeful that over the course of the season we figure out what is the best solution for both of them at the same, like either whether it's at the same time, whether they change one of their roles or if they are playing at different times over the course of the season. Yeah, I totally agree. I think most of the fan base agrees, admittedly. Um, And I'm curious what Tony Bennett does. And, you know, the Kihei decision, uh, you know, everyone was aware of it, obviously. Tony had to invite him back for that to happen. Kihei had the eligibility, but Tony had to invite him back. And, you know, I'm sure Reese Beekman knew every decision point, knew all the information at every step of the way. So, you know, I think by all accounts, they seem to be close. By all accounts, they seem to enjoy working together. Um, So I'm curious to see kind of how it plays out. I mean, like you said, I think the goal here is really, I mean, the goal is always to field the best team. And you have to find the way to field the best team. I think each of the years after the national championship, there's been pretty severe roster limitations. And Kihei has kind of been the one person through it all, you know, through thick and thin that's been uh, through that. And I think at times, especially his sophomore year, he was asked to carry um, maybe more than what was fair. I think the hope would be is that you're able to put the complimentary pieces around him where you don't have to ask him to carry that much. And you're able to lean on the talents of a very talented point guard like Reese Beekman, who will be entering his junior season. Um, certainly you have Vanderplas, a talented freshman class coming in, you know, kind of traditional bigs and Kafaro, Shedrick, and Gardner. But 
uh, good interior players nonetheless. So I think the goal is always to find the best team. And if you can find the ability to use the pieces and the players that we have to put the best team around Kihei, that's the ultimate goal. I think what we're cautious of right now is, you know, rolling out the two point guard look again, just because both of them are more naturally suited to play the point guard as opposed to one playing the shooting guard. But, you know, I think you kind of have to trust Tony Bennett to hopefully put that together. Um, Cause I, I'm sure he realizes the same thing. I'm sure Tony Bennett, the NCAA's all time leading three point shooter doesn't love watching his team that's not able to shoot, you know? So I think, I think you kind of have to trust that there's a plan in place um, and you have to kind of trust their ability to execute it. I agree. I, I think that, and you know, we've seen so many times guards get better with shooting over there or not just guards, but just players in general have gotten better with shooting at their time at UVA. Look at London Prentice. Look at, I mean, even Kihei Clark has been a really good uh, shooter. Justin Anderson, I think, is the best example of someone who wasn't a great shooter and was taught to be a great shooter by Tony Bennett and this coaching staff. So it can happen. I think that, and frankly for Armand, I think it's just, you know, a ni- I, I, the summer was a nice reset. I think going into the summer, having a really good NIT are, you know, with with not 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 winning the NIT, but shooting really well in the NIT. I think that that's a great thing. And, you know, hopefully with Vanderplas, Vanderplas can find a find a touch that is respectable and, and needs to be guarded because that's going to spread people out as well. Um, and I'm hoping that maybe some of our freshmen coming in can provide some shooting as well. We already talked about Isaac McNeely, you know, 6'4 guard coming out of West Virginia he's a he's a scorer he's a shooter his body is a little bit bigger than some of what freshmen typically bring in and so maybe he can contribute right away Leon Bond is a 6'5 strong forward uh, as well as Ryan Dunn uh, 6'6 strong forward and of course Isaac Trout 6'10 power forward coming from uh, Nebraska so we've got two Isaacs and Leon Bond and Ryan Dunn I think all of them can contribute this season in different ways. I'm not sure which of them are going to play this season if they're going to play a lot. I expect all of them to well, unless they're redshirting. Has the red do you know if the redshirting rule has changed back because I know this past year it was done away with for COVID reasons. Yeah, so the COVID rule only existed for that one season. Um, so this past year, anyone who played in a game um, lost their redshirt, which, you know, is different from football now. Football has the four-game mm-hmm. rule, where if right. you play in four games or fewer, you can maintain your redshirt. Basketball does not have that. Yeah. If you play, um, you lose your redshirt. Yeah, so anyway, I, I expect probably one or two of these guys to redshirt. Probably just one, uh, considering the need for shooting and offense in this on this team um maybe either leon bond or ryan dunn would be my guess considering they play a very similar position and they're um there's more similar players in that in that way that they're the same size and same position but i would i would expect to see one of them uh one of them what's it called red shirt while the season goes on especially with uh vanderplas here as well um, taking up some of that space. 
Um, but we'll see, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how, as you said, Tony is using Kihei and Reese at the same time. They bring a lot to the table. And as you said earlier, Tony, I think is going to know best about how to use the team and, and what's best for the team. So I'm hoping that, uh, hoping that it turns into wins for next year. I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited for next year basketball. It's unusual for a team to bring back all five starters and the leadership and experience like Kihei brings. So I think, I think it'll go well if we can find some shooting. It'll be, it'll be good. Yeah. I mean, that's the key. And I think Arbon Franklin's going to play a big role in that. Right. Certainly, you know, you hope there's a jump from Tane Mary. Vanderplas adds you something different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say, I think for the most part, I would anticipate that the roster is largely set. Don't Mm -hmm. expect any transfers outward at this point. Um, And they don't appear to really be targeting any transfers in either. So if we go into the season right now, we're at 12 scholarships, which is two more scholarships than we played with last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Still one below the limit. So I I would imagine what we're talking about is largely set, mm-hmm. barring kind of a too good to pass up type player uh, yeah. coming available. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, these guys will be able to work this summer. I know the Instagram account for basketball just put out pictures of workouts today. Um, so hopefully they'll be able to work through this. And like you said, I mean, I think everyone loves basketball season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're excited to see kind of, a lot of this, a lot of similar puzzle pieces, but maybe some new ways to put them together. Um, adding in the freshmen and the transfers, so it'll yeah. be exciting to see. I'm I'm excited for this team, and I, I think that you know they they can do a lot with it. I think Armon is going to have a good reset this summer. So, speaking of uh, resets, let's reset what we're talking about and go to nil talk we we mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast but there's been a lot of different nil stuff i think it's just really interesting and just wanted to to discuss it with you i don't really have an opinion on it but there's been a couple things in the news recently about players shopping themselves off or shopping themselves around for a better nil deal for basketball it's been isaiah wong plays for miami he says he's going to transfer if he doesn't get a better nil deal Kind of another one was Oscar Sheboy. Oscar Sheboy, of course, player of the year in college bas- men's college basketball. Uh, Kentucky star is getting about $2 million in NIL deals next year for coming back to Kentucky. Now, I I don't know if he was shopping himself off, if being like, I'm going to go to the NBA if I don't get a good deal. But, you know, he's going to make a lot of money next year. Whereas he might not have in the NBA if he went and if he was drafted in the second round or something like that. The other one was in football, pin uh, or sorry, Pitt wide receiver, um, shoot, what's his name? Add his last name is Addison, but he Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison, thank you. And he was shopping himself around. Apparently, just today got a good deal at uh, USC. So he. Uh, I don't think it's official yet, but I think he's going to be transferring to USC. And there's talk of a house and a lot of money involved. But, Rob, how do you feel about players in college sports? Not And not just you know football and men's basketball, but probably anything at this point. How do you feel about players openly shopping themselves around, saying, like, I will, I'm willing to transfer to a school that will get me better NIL deals? Yeah, I think 
everyone's trying to figure that out right now. Yeah. I will say in terms of what NIL is technically defined as, I am all for NIL. Mm-hmm. I think NIL is great for the players. Um, I think it's only fair the fact that so many players have lost eligibility or been kicked out of schools for you know, signing autographs and selling them. Like it, it seems insane, insane. And I'm very glad NIL is a thing. I think what is becoming interesting is that since the NIL was rolled out initially on a state by state basis and the NCAA just kind of acted with one swooping motion to allow NIL um, without really defining a path forward for it, I think we're seeing the murky waters uh, really come to the surface here. And I think the biggest problem we're dealing with is what is NIL, mm-hmm. you know, like name, image and likeness. The idea is it's essentially a transaction. Players, you know, compete on the field and they have the ability to benefit off of their name, image and likeness. NIL was not supposed to include pay for play. Yeah. I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing a lot of pay for play and it just being advertised as NIL or described as NIL. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Isaiah Wong situation, I don't really view that as NIL. I view that as pay to play. And there's not really boundaries set yet to, for the NCAA, at least, to distinguish between the two. So I think more rule changes are going to have to come because I think the NCAA would be hurt with the true pay-for-play culture. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's bad, but I think modern sports as we know it would change. You know, there's not a salary cap. You know, all of a sudden, there's there just adds so many more elements that aren't even, you know, a problem in pro sports because in pro sports, everything is uniform, salary caps and unions and whatnot. We're kind of entering the Wild West here, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I just mean that in a way that the NCAA has not defined a path forward for I don't think, frankly, is prepared or was prepared to define a path forward for. Yeah. So I think we're all kind of figuring it out right now. But Dustin, I don't know if you have thoughts on this either. I think I think it's just really interesting. I think it's going to be a fascinating probably couple of years when teams are and, and not just teams, but players are trying to figure out how do we how do we get players to stay here if they're really good and not go somewhere else? You know, like I think I think this applies to a lot of smaller schools too. Like for example, Ohio, Ben Vanderplas could definitely get probably get more NIL deals at Virginia than he could at Ohio, um, w- in terms of making more money for that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that's why he transferred to Virginia, and you know he's got a lot of ties to UVA in the first place, but. But I think that it's interesting that players can now be like, I'm going to leave because I'm really good and I can make money somewhere else. I think that's I think that's perfectly fine. I think it's bad if if teams are saying, come to us, we will get you NIL deals, because I think that's changing what what the intent was. As you were saying, I think you did a really good job explaining of the difference between pay-for-play and NIL deals. And I think that there's a really fine line that people are starting to cross. I think Addison is the the worst example so far that I've seen. Isaiah Wong, you know, he declared for the NBA draft, but he was saying, like, you know, if if someone can come up with some NIL deals for me, I might come back to Miami, you know. 
Like he's saying, make it worth my time to not go to the NBA instead of staying at Miami. But for Addison, it's just like, I'm transferring to the place that's going to give me the most money or like a house. I think that's, that's, that's where it gets to be like, okay, how do we, how do we, um, where does, like, where's the line for that? You know, I think that is something that's interesting and that the NCAA is going to have to figure out at some point. Otherwise, there's going to be crazy, crazy amounts of people threatening their schools basically over, you know, making more money somewhere else. Yeah, and the Addison case is really interesting because I think a distinction here we have to make is, you know, schools versus boosters who are Mm -hmm. generally now put into collectives and UVA has a collective. A lot of other schools have collectives as well, but these collectives helping, you know, pool, you know, boosters and businesses and what have you create NIL opportunities for these players. Well, the school does not have involvement in these collectives. And even more so, I think the Addison case is interesting is because this offer for lack of a better word that he's receiving from usc to transfer from pittsburgh he's not technically even in the portal yet Mm -hmm. at least as of recording you know there's been several days going on where he is not in the portal so you know the coaches technically aren't supposed to reach out to players that aren't in the portal yeah and vice versa yeah so you know there's all this talk of him transferring to usc well if he's not in the portal he's not even really supposed to be talking to usc all of this is done through these collectives now i'm sure usc and lincoln riley would not turn down a player like jordan addison sure if jordan addison came to them and said hey i'm coming here they'd welcome him Mm -hmm. um but you know is that tampering is does there need to be a tamping period like there is in the nfl Mm -hmm. you know we're kind of in the murkiness of these waters still and we kind of have to figure out where we're going to go now i would say the solution or part of the solution that you touched on is schools really have to create a brand. And some schools, let's be honest, are bigger football schools than, say, UVA is. And, you know, part of their brand might be that we have these strong collectives, we can get NIL money for our players. Um, you know, that might be part of their brand. UVA, that's not going to be part of their brand. Right. And NIL is something that UVA will have to adapt to, but I'm sure they're going to adapt to very deliberately. You know, like I know Darden and McIntyre have classes for athletes to go to or sessions for the athletes to go to, to learn how to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness in the traditional sense that the rule was probably primarily intended to be for. Mm-hmm. Um, but the school has to find a way to sell itself on something else. And I think with Tony Bennett, I think, you know, the pillars as a background, the ability to get guys into the league, I think that's a selling point. You know, with Tony Elliott, I think he's defining the model program, as he calls it, similar to the way Bronco had uh, defined the program in the sense that you're going to be student athletes and that if you're chasing NIL money, UVA just really isn't the right school for you. Mm -hmm. But you have to establish that brand and the whole organization has to be designed around those principles. So I think UVA specifically has a plan long term in place for this, but I'm sure there's going to be some struggles. And I think we're going to see over the next several years you know, depending on what rules the NCAA might or might not, uh, you know, come up with. I think you're going to see schools take on different branding in their own right. UVA is not going to play the NIL game, at least not in the way that USC is playing it with Jordan Addison. And if Isaiah Wong was at UVA and wanted $800,000, 
I'm sure he would be told to walk. Yeah. So I, I think it's each school is going to approach this differently is the best way to say it. I mean, honestly, I mean, this is it's kind of scary because at this point, you know, we bring in this great recruiting class. And I think I think all of these guys, I mean, hopefully I think every guy that w- comes to UVA wants to be at UVA because of what what you're talking about. Right. The culture, the 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 pillars for basketball, the the way Tony Bennett uh you know, gets people into the league on a regular basis. But when you're talking about, you know, kids who who are who are winning a lot of money, I think that's great. And I think it scares me because I have a feeling that this is part of the reason why Jay Wright retired a couple weeks ago. You know, in kind of in the what a lot of people would see as the prime of his coaching, two championships in the in the uh, 2010s. And then making a Final Four this season, I think a lot of people thought Jay Wright was kind of one of the lead, like one of the top tier college basketball coaches, and he's gone. Um, a lot of it probably has to. I think a lot of it has to do with spending more time with family and the and the toll of coaching and recruiting and all that. But I also think it's a different game now, in a sense, and I think it's going to change a lot more as the years go on because you've got. You've got to not only recruit people, but you've got to be able to sometimes offer them a better deal than other places, which is not going to work out in in every case, and especially I think at a place like Virginia. And I'm hope I'm hoping Tony sticks to his guns and doesn't kind of feel the fatigue of losing players because they're getting quote unquote better deals at other schools. I think that's my greatest fear coming out of all of this is that it like pushes Tony out of the game. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think uh, we'll come to Tony Bennett in a second, but you bring up Jay Wright. You know, I think Bronco resigned for several reasons. Yeah. Not all of them have been made clear, but I think when we're talking about Bronco Mendenhall, he has said outwardly that he didn't like the direction that college athletics was headed mm-hmm. and that he wanted to maintain that amateurism model. And that was what attracted him. So, I mean, I think, that probably played part of a role and as to why Broncos stepped down. Um, and again, we're speculating. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine it had somewhat of a role with Jay Wright stepping down as well, like mm-hmm. you said. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think we've seen its fingerprints touch our basketball program too. Again, you know, without knowing the, all the details behind the London Johnson recruitment, it seems that there were some external factors involved there, mm-hmm. you know, that whether it's G League, whether it was NIL, whatever it would be, just things that UVA as a program couldn't match. And different players are going to want different things, not saying one thing is better than the other. And I think, again, I think NIL as it's intended to be implemented is a great thing for college athletes and i think it's not a bad thing for college programs either i think we just don't have a defined set of rules yet and i think the intentions of the rules um just need to be made clear by the ncaa so that they can put um stipulations in place like for example we mentioned earlier in this episode the transfer rules you know college athletes can transfer once without having to sit out a year now Mm -hmm. But there's a deadline, the deadline being today, as to when they can enter the transfer portal for that rule to remain in effect. You know, it's just like little things like that. There just needs to be more guidelines here um, so that everyone knows what's allowed and what isn't. And we're in the very early stages of this. You know, we're within the first 18 months of this rule. And I imagine it's going to be worked out eventually. 
Um, but it might be another two, three years before we really have a defined set of rules that everyone's working from. It's it's still just in its early stages. I think I think you make a really good point that it's the the intention of the rule is to give college athletes a say over over their you know ability to make money and profit off of their name, image, and likeness. That you know there are horror stories back before this of players, you know, not just from football but from like. Uh, volleyball or or soccer or lacrosse who had like youtube channels that the ncaa forced them to take down because they weren't allowed to have to make money off of the youtube ads and the the ridiculousness like that and now we've got players who are making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to to promote different things uh while they're at school and i think that's great but i think that you bring a good point of the intent of the the rule was not to recruit players who are still at another school who have not entered the transfer portal yet to come to your program like Jordan Addison right now and and like USC is doing to Jordan Addison. And I still can't find anything. I've been kind of searching Twitter as we've talked. I haven't really found anything that says that he's actually in the transfer portal yet. I haven't looked that hard, but, you know, yeah, I think he's. I think it's still a decision that hasn't quite been made yet. But I think that there's an, from all the reports, it seems it sounds like there's an offer on the table for him, if he does end up in the portal. So, you know, just really interesting. And I think I really actually enjoyed talking about this with you. I think it's a great, you know, kind of It's a great exercise in you know intentions of rules and and where is the line drawn for tampering and collusion and all that you know, all those legal words that have a lot of meanings. Yeah. And the, the one last thing I'll add on all of this mm-hmm. is kind of the overarching theme here is that we found out, I think it was last week that Mark Emmert will be resigning as president of the NCAA in yeah. 2023. So the NCAA and the college athletic environment is dramatically different now than it was even two years ago. And that's kind of what we said about, Um, or I've told people too about our basketball national championship team in 2019, Mm -hmm. the environment that that team won a championship in doesn't exist anymore. College athletics is remarkably different just between NIL and transfer rule alone. So I'm very curious, you know, how they will go about this hiring process. They being the NCAA to bring in a new president, because I think we're at an inflection point for college sports. I don't know necessarily what direction, um we're gonna head to but i think it's clear that we're moving at least away from the amateur model and more towards a professional model Mm -hmm. now i don't know where the line is going to be drawn but that's something that the ncaa and the new president will probably have a very large say in so i think following the hiring process here and the criteria they want i think it's going to be fascinating and i think it's going to set up the future of college athletics um for the next call it decade two decades if not permanently honestly so i think we're at an inflection point it's going to be fascinating to see what direction they head the new president has to be coach k right (laughs) (laughs) i will say while while we're on this subject uh props to jay wright who joins the ranks of roy williams Mm -hmm. who did not need a farewell tour yes i I agree I, i thought i was very respectable a respectable man um and a and a decent human to uh to just announce it like everyone else and uh and not not make it not make the season about him entirely. I thought that was great. 
thought it was great. Um, Rob, any last thoughts, words, uh, shout outs before we end this long podcast, uh, a long return podcast? Yeah, I was going to say, just great chopping it up with you, man. Mm-hmm. I know we <laughs> go longer than we typically do, but yeah. we had we had almost three months of material to cover. I know. One thing I will say, congrats to Jelani Woods for getting drafted uh, on Friday, I think, because it was a he was third round to the Colts. And congrats to uh, Rashad Henry and Joy Blunt for also making undrafted free agent rosters. I don't. Did you see? Was there anyone else who got an undrafted free agent uh, signing that you saw besides yeah, so those there's, two? There's always. Blurry line between whether they were signed as an undrafted free agent or invited for a tryout okay. or whatever it may be. Um, I will say Joey Blunt and Rashawn Henry um, to the Seahawks and Panthers, respectively, are the only two players that the university account has tweeted out. Mm-hmm. But based off of reports and rumors, again, don't know if this is signings or tryouts, but the other UVA players would be Devontae Cross to the Commanders, Devin Darrington to the Chiefs. Chris Glazer, it appears, has a tryout with the Chiefs and the Colts. And then a little throwback, former UVA safety Chris Moore, who was at Georgia State last year, he uh, has an opportunity with the Ravens. So a couple of guys getting opportunities here. Well, congrats to them and congrats to us for doing a podcast again. Thank thank goodness (laughs) we're back. Um, We hope to be doing this more regularly. And until next time, go Hoos, and thanks for listening. Yeah,